Good morning, everyone. It is good to see all of you here, as it is once again my privilege to share the Word of God with you today. It was the first Sunday in February of last year when we began this message series. And today, 15 months later, we will be concluding our study of the Gospel of Mark as we will be reading the final verses in the gospel. Our passage for today is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. If you are able, let us all stand together to read the word of God. I will read most of the verses for us, but I'll ask you to read the final verses with me. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the Bible says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. Let us read the remainder of verses together. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, he is, here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Then they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have given us to stand here in your presence, Lord, as we go with all of our hearts to the power and might of your scriptures, your everlasting word. And we pray, Lord, that your word would minister to each and every one of us in particular, that your word would fulfill within us all the purpose for which is being preached. For, for which has been spoken. We praise you, we thank you for your eternal word as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Based on this verses in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark, our message title for today and that is added suspense, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. As we begin, I must point out three very important things to you. First, the resurrection of Christ is indeed the highlight of this passage. The resurrection of Christ is the highlight of the Gospels. The resurrection of Christ is the highlight of the entire Bible. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, had Christ not risen from the dead, 
our faith would be useless. Christ is risen. That is the reason why we are here. That is the reason why we believe. That is the reason why we profess and confess that we can trust and believe in the Lord our God because he died for us at the cross, but he rose again. And so any message based on this passage of the scriptures would have to highlight the resurrection of Jesus, that Christ is risen. However, one could also argue that a more appropriate title for this passage would have been the women's experience after Christ was risen. Because although the highlight is obviously the resurrection, these verses provide us with predominantly a detailed narrative of the experiences that the women had through the events surrounding the resurrection of Christ. Christ is risen, but we could also say the women's experience after Christ was risen. Secondly, I must also point out that although we will be focusing on these eight verses in the Gospel of Mark, it is essential that we also see verses from all the other three Gospels, in Matthew, Luke, and John, for us to have a complete picture as to what happened that day, for us to have a fuller idea as to what transpired in the events surrounding the resurrection of Christ. And thirdly, I must also say, as you have heard, I mentioned to you that this series is concluding today because we have just read the final eight verses in the Gospel of Mark. But if you looked at your Bible right now, you know that there are verses after verse 8. In fact, there are 12 of them, verses 9 through 20. However, the older, more reliable biblical manuscripts, they do not include verses 9 through 20. In fact, in most Bibles, and you can check yours right now, verses 9 through 20, they appear between brackets. An opening bracket before verse 9 and a closing bracket after verse 20, indicating that those verses were not part of the original writings. This is a picture, this is a photo of one of the only two complete manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark. It is dated from the 4th century, from about the year 325, and this manuscript the earliest one does not include verses 9 through 20. This is a picture, this is a photo of the other one in the first column beginning in Mark, chap Mark chapter 15 verse 43. It marks the end of that section and then when we go to the second column, there are 31 columns in this manuscript. And at the very bottom, the very last line is Mark chapter 16, verse 8, ending and concluding the Gospel of Mark in that verse. Afterwards, all you see is the closing book title. It says, Kata Markon, which means according to Mark. Universally, most Bible scholars, if not all Bible scholars, would agree that verses 9 through 20 were not part of the original writings. But the Gospel of Mark ends in chapter 16 from verses 1 through 8. And for that reason, today we will focus specifically on those eight verses. Christ is risen. And the first thing we'll see in the passage we have just read is that faith overcomes fear. Faith 
overcomes fear. Going back to our first verse, the Bible tells us, when the Sabbath was over. As you know, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. The following day was Saturday, or Sabbath, or the Sabbath, as, as we would say in Hebrew, the Sabbath was over. When the Bible says that the Sabbath was over, it means that it was about 6 p.m. For us in the Western world, the day ends at midnight when a new day begins. But for the Jews, they consider that the day ends six hours earlier at 6 p.m. And why? Because of what the Bible says in Genesis in chapter 1, in verse 5, where it says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Because the Bible mentions the evening first and then morning, the Jews considered this, they interpret this to mean that God established that the day would end in the evening, at sunset, and not at midnight. And so with that in mind, when we go back to verse 1, the Bible says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. According to the Jewish reckoning of time, when the Bible says that the Sabbath was over and that's when the women went out to buy the spices, that means that they went out after 6 p.m. Because after 6 p.m., Sunday had already started. And therefore, they would not be violating any of the Sabbath laws. So when the Sabbath was over, when the Sunday started after 6 p.m., they went out to buy spices, as the Bible says at the end, so that they might come and anoint him. They wanted to anoint the body of Jesus. Obviously, that means that the women were not expecting the Lord's resurrection. They were going to go out to buy spices to anoint his body. You see, the Jews, they did not embalm cadavers as the Egyptians used to do in order to create mummies. The Egyptians would open the dead body and remove all the internal organs, including the brain, and they would drain all the fluid from the body, and then they would wrap the body with cloths, creating their mummies, mummifying the cadaver. The Jews would not embalm a dead body that way. They would leave the body intact. They would just wrap the body in cloths. And then afterwards, they would make a mixture of spices and perfumes and then pour that over the wrapped body to counteract the stench of decomposition. So if the women went out to buy spices and perfumes to anoint the body of Jesus, obviously, it is implied, it is an obvious conclusion that they were not expecting the Lord's resurrection. However, let us not rush to label their faith as weak. And I'll tell you why. Jesus had told his disciples that he would die and rise again in at least three separate occasions. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, and in Mark chapter 10, verse 34. And although there are no records of Jesus telling of his resurrection directly to the women, we know that Jesus told the women that he would die and rise again. And how do we know that Jesus spoke to the women directly about his resurrection? 
because of what the angel told them when they entered the empty tomb. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24, the angel said, He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The angel said, Remember the words that he spoke to you about his resurrection. Therefore, it is implied we can logically conclude that Jesus had spoken to the women about his resurrection. Perhaps in this occasion, in Luke chapter 8, the Bible says that in Luke chapter 8 that the 12 disciples were with Jesus and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Kutza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. The Bible tells us that Jesus was with the twelve disciples and also with some women who were following him. You see, the rabbis did not have women as disciples, but Jesus did allow women to follow him. Therefore, it is conceivable that in any of those instances when Jesus spoke to the disciples, or the twelve, about his resurrection, that could have been one of the instances when the women also heard Jesus saying that he would die and rise again. They may not have remembered the words of Christ about his resurrection, but certainly they acted in faith and with courage, leaving their homes and going to the tomb to anoint his body. While the disciples, they had scattered away and they were behind closed doors in fear. The women, their faith overcame all fear. Their faith overcame all fear. The Bible tells us in verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. The women about 12 hours before, they had gone out when the Sabbath was already over. Sunday had already started after 6 p.m. And so they go and buy the spices and perfumes. Afterwards, they make a plan. They agree that they are going to meet at a certain place where they would be together. And then after they meet together, they would all go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. The Bible says that they had agreed that that would be on the very first day of the week. Sunday had already started. They would come to the tomb when the sun had already risen, when the sun was already up. However, John, in his gospel, he gives us a very important detail. In John chapter 20, in verse 1, the Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Although the women had agreed to meet at a certain place and then they would all go together to the tomb after the sun had risen, for whatever reason, Mary decided to go straight to the tomb and she was there alone. She was there before all the other women because when the, when the women decided to go there, the sun was already up. And the Bible tells us here that when Mary arrived at the tomb, it was still dark. We do not know why she changed her mind and went straight to the tomb. It could be that Mary simply could not sleep. She was distraught over the death of Christ and she decided to get up and just go to the tomb very early while it was still dark. We do not know. What we do know is that she was there first and she was there before all the other women. 
And when she gets there, the Bible tells us that she saw that the stone had already been moved, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. What does Mary do afterwards? The Bible tells us in verse 2, And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. When Mary saw that the, st that the stone had been moved, she did not even go into the tomb to confirm that the body of Jesus had been taken away. But she assumed that the body of Christ had been stolen. During those times, it was common for grave robbers to invade tombs in search of treasures, in search of valuables and possessions. It was common for families to inter their cadavers, their loved ones, with their possessions, with their earthly valuables. Even placing their valuables on their bodies before wrapping the body with the cloths. And so grave robbers would go into the tombs and take the possessions and sometimes even take the body in the assumption that there were valuables inside the wrappings. And so when Mary saw that the stone had been rolled away, she said, they have stolen the body of Jesus. And she goes, she runs to Peter and to John and she says, and she says exactly that. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so at this point, as you know, Mary arrived there early. She saw the stone moved. She ran out of there, and she is now talking to Peter and John. We leave Mary talking to Peter and John, and then we go back to the other women in verse 2. The Bible says, as we read, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, you and I already know that when Mark says, they here... He means the women minus Mary Magdalene. Because you and I know that Mary at this point, she is already out of there and she's already talking to Peter and John. So Mark says that the remainder of the women, they came to the tomb when the sun had already risen. Obviously they had met at the appointed place and they didn't see Mary Magdalene, but so they decided something happened to her. They just continued to go to the tomb. And the Bible tells us in verse 3, they were saying to one another, who rolled away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Who rolled away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They did not know what Mary had already seen, that the stone was already rolled away. But they did not know that. They only knew that the tomb was covered with a very large, with a very heavy stone. And the Bible tells us that they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away? The Greek construct of that sentence means that, gives us the idea that they were talking about how the stone was going to be moved all the way that they were going to the tomb. It was their constant discussion. How are we going to move the stone? Who's going to move the stone for us? It's a very heavy stone. How are we going to move it? How are we going to get into the tomb to anoint his body? Who is going to do that for us? How is that going to happen? But did you notice something here? That despite the fact that they were talking about the stone, they kept on going to the tomb. Who's going to move the stone? I don't know. 
Who's going to move the stone? It's a very large stone. It's probably, it, is, it, is, it weighs more than 2,000 pounds. Who's going to do that for us? But they kept on going. Their faith was overcoming all fear. They did not have the answer to their own problem, but that did not stop them from still going to the tomb. When confronted with the impossible, their faith kept them going. They were still going there by faith, without having the answer to that obstacle. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 7 that we must live by faith and not by sight. They certainly had that stone in their sight, in their mind. But greater than the sight of the stone was their faith. Their faith was overcoming the fear. They kept on going to the tomb even though they had no idea as to what would move, as to what could move that stone. But I also want you to notice something very important. They also did not know that previously on the Saturday, the stone had been sealed and Roman soldiers were appointed to guard the tomb. They did not know that. Had they known that the stone out had received the seal of the Roman government, and that there were a band of Roman soldiers standing there fully armed to prevent anyone from entering the tomb, they would not have gone there. The stone was not enough to stop them, but if they had known that there were soldiers, war-trained soldiers, keeping anyone from entering the stone, they would have stayed home. You see, God allowed them to know only what their faith could handle. They only knew what their faith could handle. That is the promise we see in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 in verse 13, where the Bible says that God does not allow us to be tempted, God does not allow us to be tried beyond what we can bear, beyond what we can endure. God permitted them to know enough for their faith to be tested. But God did not allow them to know too much so their faith would not be overwhelmed. God permitted them to know enough for their faith to be tested. But God did not allow them to know too much so their faith would not be overwhelmed. So, is our, so it is our God. Have you ever faced circumstances in your life that you simply cannot understand? Are you facing circumstances and trials and temptations and problems in your life that you simply cannot make reason of it? Remember this. God is only allowing you to know enough for your faith to be tested through this. But he's not going to allow you to know too much so that your faith is not overwhelmed. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that he has given each and every one of us a measure of faith. The Lord knows what you can handle. I have received the measure of faith. You have received the measure of faith. Once we receive Christ as our Savior, God knows how much our faith can be stretched. 
And he knows exactly what is happening in your life, in his sovereignty, in his control. God knows, even though you may say, Lord, why is this happening in my family? Why is this happening in my church? Why is this happening with my children? Why is this happening, Lord, at work? You may not know, but trust, as the women did, that God has everything in control. Even beyond the things that you do not know, God is working all things for good, and what you do not know, God, out of his mercy, is keeping you from knowing so that your faith is tested through what you do know. Just trusting him. Just believing the Lord. And their faith was rewarded. Because the Bible tells us in verse 4, Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away although it was extremely large. Looking up, it reminds us of Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, that says that we must set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth, but that we must look up by faith and know that the Lord is all-powerful. Know that the Lord is working in our favor, knowing that the Lord is in complete control no matter how Terrible to our sight, our circumstances may appear. Looking up, what had kept them going, what had kept them discussing and talking and thinking about it all the way to the tomb, when they looked up, it was already done. The stone had already been rolled away, even though it was extremely large. God rewarded their faith. And God rewarded their faith in two ways. The Bible says in Matthew 28, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The women had no idea what happened. The women didn't know what God had already done on their behalf. What God had already done for the glory of his name. And as a reward to their faith, they had no idea what had happened. But by the time that they get to the tomb, God rewarded their faith in two ways. First, the guards waking up after fainting, they had already bolted out of there. They didn't stick around. They left and there were no guards, no soldiers at their post. The tomb was unoccupied by the guards. But secondly, what was the motive, what was the topic of their discussion as they were going to the tomb? Who was going to roll away the stone? And once they looked up and looked at the burial site, what did they see? That the stone had already been rolled away. God had already worked the miracle for them, and they had no idea what had happened. But God honored their faith. The Bible says that the soldiers became like dead men, and that the Lord had also rolled away the stone. God is always working through our circumstances, always working for good, for the glory of his name. Even when you don't understand even you, when you cannot understand all the reasons for the things you are going through, remember the Lord is in control. The Lord is sovereign. 
And he is working many ways that you don't even know. The Bible tells us in verse 5, when they saw that the stone had been rolled away, they entered the tomb and they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe and they were amazed. They were amazed. Obviously, that young man was an angel. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24, verse 4, that there were two angels inside the tomb. Mark only mentions one because only one angel was speaking to the women. They were amazed. That word amazed in the original means to be awestruck. They were marveled by that sight. Obviously, they were marveled. They were awestruck. They were amazed at the fact that they were seeing angels inside the tomb. There are angels in the tomb wearing white robes, certainly a shining angelic appearance, literally an amazing sight. But they were also amazed at the fact that the tomb was empty. There were two angels in there, but not the body of Jesus. The tomb was empty. And by the fact that the tomb was empty, along with the words that the angels would tell them, they would soon realize the reality that Mary Magdalene had not known yet. They would soon realize that Jesus had risen from the dead. They would soon realize that the empty tomb proved it. The empty tomb proved the resurrection. Now, we do not know where the empty tomb, where the tomb of Jesus was actually located. Primarily, there are two locations where it is believed that the tomb of Jesus could have been in. One is here. This is a Roman Catholic church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It is traditionally the place accepted where the tomb of Jesus was. And visitors go in, and they are greeted by this stone, by this shrine. The Vatican affirms that after Jesus was taken down from the cross, Jesus was placed on this stone to be prepared for burial, that he was wrapped in those cloths and anointed here. Visitors go in, and they kneel, and they touch the stone where presumably the body of Jesus was prepared for burial. But others believe that the actual location of the tomb of Jesus was at a different place. It was here, the called Garden Tomb. It was discovered in 1861, and it, many believe that this is the location where the body of Jesus was placed. Now let me take you inside the, this tomb. Once you go in the tomb, of course, the metal bars and the door were not there originally. But to the right of the entrance, that is where the body of Jesus would have been placed. That is where his body wrapped in those cloths and anointed with the spices and perfumes would have been placed. And on the door, they have affixed a placard that says this, He is not here, for he is risen. Quoting the words of the angel when, they, when he spoke to the women inside the tomb. Be that as it may, we know that for those who were inside the tomb, 
for those who knew exactly where the tomb was, for those who went inside the tomb and saw that it was empty, it was evidence, it was proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. However, over the centuries, as Paul Johnson mentioned last week, many skeptical criticism has been raised against the resurrection of Christ. And one of the arguments that they have raised to contradict the resurrection is that the women went to the wrong tomb. The women went to the wrong site. However, the Bible tells us in Luke 23, and he, Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Jesus down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Not just one woman, all the women, they saw exactly where Joseph of Arimathea had placed the body of Jesus. They knew exactly where the tomb was. There was no mistake. They knew exactly where the site was, and that's exactly where they went. Skeptics have also raised the argument that the disciples stole the body. However, the Bible tells us in John chapter 20, so it, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the disciples went nowhere. The disciples, they scattered away after Jesus was arrested. And they were filled with fear that not only the Jews, but perhaps even the Romans would arrest them and do the same that they had done to their master. The Bible says that they were locked behind closed doors in fear. And besides, even if they were to be filled with bravery to go to the tomb, if what happened was that they would steal the body, then it would mean that they would have to pass those very Roman soldiers who were sent by Pilate to protect the tomb. That is Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through 66. There was a band of soldiers guarding the tomb. It is inconceivable that the disciples would have gone to the tomb under this set of circumstances to steal the body. But perhaps the most ludicrous of all the arguments against the resurrection of Christ is when they say that what truly happened was that Jesus was not really dead. That when Jesus was taken down from the cross, that he was just moribund. He was still alive. And after he was placed in the tomb, Jesus woke up and he rolled the stone and he just walked out. Despite the nail wounds in his wrists, despite the nail wounds in his ankles, despite the lacerations on his back and on his chest, because the Roman flogging would not only be on the back but also on the front afterwards, despite the thorns on his brow, despite the wounds that the, that the crown of thorns did on his head, despite all of this, he could still have the strength to move the rock and just walk out. And also, with a very specific wound through the, his side that went through his chest. As the Bible says in John chapter 19, But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Before taking the body of Jesus down from the cross, the soldiers made sure that Jesus was already dead. 
One soldier pierced his side with his spear, probably perforating his lung and his heart, causing blood and fluid to gush out. It is a ridiculous argument. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead at the cross. When he was taken down and placed inside the tomb, it was a dead body. The empty tomb proved the resurrection of Christ. However, it is no wonder that skeptics, despite all the evidence, still cannot accept that Jesus rose from the dead. Because the reality is that without God opening the eyes of anyone, they would never be able to accept the truth of the gospel. Because it is God who opens our eyes to see the truth of the gospel, to see the weight of our sins, to see the blame of our sins. Only God can do that. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man, he does not accept the things of God because they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the God of this age, the God of this world, the devil, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that the light of the gospel would not shine upon them. Unless God opens the mind of a man, it is impossible for any human being to receive Christ as Savior. The Bible says that it is God who gives us the understanding of truth. It is God who gives us faith and repentance to believe. That is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Think of the soldiers, as we read in Matthew chapter 28. They felt the earthquake. They saw the angel, the angelic appearance, shining before them, moving that tremendous rock and then sitting upon the stone. The Bible says that they were so frightened that they shook so much that they fainted right there and became like dead men. One would think that the moment that they would get up, they would just believe immediately. How could they just dismiss all of that? But instead, they went to the Jewish leaders and they accepted a bribe to spread the lie that the disciples had come at night and indeed stolen the body of Christ. How do you get to that? Without God opening your mind, without God opening your heart to the truth of the gospel, it is impossible for anyone to receive him as Savior. And oh, I so pray that if, you listening, that if you are listening to this message right now and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that the Lord is opening your mind and your heart and giving you conviction of your sins so that you may indeed confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who died for us at Calvary's cross. May the Lord enlighten your eyes, as the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, so that you may understand the truth of the gospel. The Bible tells us that the angels also confirmed it. The empty tomb proved the resurrection, but the angels also, they confirmed the resurrection. The Bible says in verse 6 that the angels said to the women, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. The angels confirmed the resurrection of Jesus. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, that whatever the angels announce, it is always proven to be true and reliable. Somehow the angels even participated in the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. That's Acts chapter 7, verse 53. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, they participated in the giving of the law to Moses. Whatever they announce is proven to be true and reliable. And so in confirmation of the resurrection, the angel says to the women, Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. First, the angel points to the humanity of Christ. Jesus was born a human being in Bethlehem, and he grew up in Nazareth. Therefore, he is called the Nazarene. Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man, so that he could die for us at Calvary's cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. The angel says, Jesus the Nazarene, he was the one who died as a man for your sins, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. But he also says, he's not here. He has risen. As we saw in that plaque affixed inside the tomb called the garden tomb. He is not here, for he is risen. The angels confirm the resurrection. And thirdly, the angels also say, Behold, here is the place where they laid him. They point to the women, to the place exact within, exactly within the tomb where the body of Jesus had been laid. So much for the women going to the wrong tomb, right? Even the angels confirm that here is the place where the body was laid. The angels gave confirmation. The empty tomb proved it. The angels confirmed it. And so, the women, they proclaimed it. They would see the empty tomb, and they would receive the words of confirmation from the angels. And so, they would be convinced and proclaim that Jesus was alive. The Bible tells us in verse 7 that the angel told the women, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you see him just as he told you. The, angels, the angel commanded the women to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus was alive and that he would meet them at Galilee. That Jesus was alive and that they would see the Lord again. And so the angel says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why was Peter singled out? Remember, Peter had denied the Lord three times. After Peter had denied the Lord those three times, Hearing that the Lord was alive and that he was going to be seen by all the disciples certainly was a shocking news to them. Certainly was a shocking experience for the disciples to hear that they were going to see Jesus again. But especially would have been shocking to Peter. Because the last time that Peter had seen Jesus was when Jesus was standing on the courtyard of the high priest 
And the Bible tells us that after Peter denied the Lord for the third time, that Jesus turned his face and locked eyes with Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 61. He looked at Peter the moment that Peter had denied him for the third time. And now Peter hears that he is going to see the Lord again. How do you think that Peter felt when he heard that? Guilty and... I don't know. Embarrassed? Or do you think that he felt joyful and relieved? We do not know. But this we do know, that Jesus met with Peter alone. We see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 34. And even though the Bible doesn't give details as to how that meeting went, when Peter saw Jesus for the first time, I can only imagine how forgiving and how reassuring Jesus was to Peter. That is the reason why the angels singled out Peter to give him a special message that he was going to appear to the disciples, dismissing any idea in Peter's mind saying, well, he might want to see the disciples, but not me because I denied him. No, I want to see the disciples and I want to see Peter. Now at this point, the women are sent out of the tomb to tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. And at this point, you and I must go back to rejoin Mary Magdalene, remember? She had gone to the tomb first while it was still dark. She saw the stone being moved. She assumed that the body of Jesus was taken away. Then she goes, she runs out of there, and she's now talking to Peter and John. And as we rejoin her, what happens? What happens when she told Peter and John that the body of Jesus had been taken away? The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 3, So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. After Mary Magdalene told Peter and John that the body of Jesus was stolen away, they run to the tomb. They go immediately to the tomb, Peter, John, and Mary. And when they arrived there, we're not going to read it, but if you read John chapter 20 through verse 8, you see that they arrived at the tomb first, and they entered into the tomb, and they saw the wrappings, and they saw the body cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in. They saw the wrappings, but no body. And after they entered into the tomb and confirmed what Mary had said, the Bible says in verse 8 that they believed, especially John, that John believed. The Bible leaves it at that. Some believe that it it means that John believed that Jesus was risen. Others believe that John believed what Mary said, that the body of Jesus had been stolen away. Either way, the Bible tells us that after Peter and John, they go into the tomb and see that there is no body there, they leave. And you know what they do afterwards? The Bible tells us in verse 10, So Peter and John went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. 
Peter and John, they ran faster than Mary. They arrived at the tomb before she did. And after they get there, they see that the body of Jesus is no longer there. And what do they do? Do they wait for poor Mary who had gone to them to tell them that Jesus was not there? She was the one responsible for informing them, for telling them as to what happened. Do you think that they waited for her? No, they just left and went home. Wow. <laughs> Some ladies would say, that's typical man. <laughs> they just left. Now Mary Magdalene is huffing and puffing, running after them, but they're already gone. And she goes to the tomb yet once again, and once again she's there alone. No women, and now no Peter, and no John. And what does she do? Does she run back to get Peter and John? Uh-uh, she's not going to fall for that again. She's not going to go to them, but this time she is going to go inside the tomb. And you know what happens? The Bible tells us, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. The same two angels that had been seen by the women returned to speak to Mary. But did you notice something very important here? That the angels did not appear to Peter and John. The angels appear to the women before, and they appear to Mary Magdalene after, but not to Peter and John. In fact, as we know, the angels had given the women a message to Peter. But when Peter himself was inside that tomb, no angel appeared to him. The angel only appeared to the women before and to Mary after, because it was a blessing just for the women. It was a blessing just for them. The Bible says that the angels appear to Mary. And what happens next? The Bible says in verse 13, The angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary Magdalene, she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Notice the women before Mary, they were amazed. They were awestruck before they could speak. They were marveling at the sight of angels. Here, the same two angels, they appear to Mary, and, they, and she speaks to them like she's speaking to an old friend. Because she's too distraught, she's too distressed to even realize the magnitude of that circumstance right in front of her, that there were angels speaking to her. And the Bible says, the angel said, Woman, why are you weeping? And she says, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Do you know what happens after that? When she was crying and telling the angels that she was distraught over the fact that they had taken Jesus away, the Bible says, when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. She saw Jesus standing there. 
What a blessing. What a marveling sight. She was so distraught. And now Jesus himself appears before Mary. Mary, Mary Magdalene, she saw him. She was the first person to see Jesus resurrected. Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus resurrected. And the Bible says, at that moment when Mary saw him, the Bible tells us in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to, to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary, who had been so distraught over the loss of Jesus, once she saw him, she couldn't let go of him. And he tells her, do not cling to me because I must ascend to the Father, meaning that he was not going to stay on earth. Her comfort and our comfort wouldn't be in his physical presence anymore. But our comfort, our comfort would be in the comforter that Jesus was going to send. He said, if I go, then I will send you the comforter. Stop clinging to me so that the comforter may come to you. Now, did you notice one more thing? Like the angels, Jesus did not appear to Peter and John at that point. Like the angels, Jesus gave Mary a message to the disciples. But Jesus did not appear to Peter or John or any other disciple at that point to give them the message directly. It was a blessing just for the women. We must rejoin the women as they had been commanded by the angels to leave the tomb and announce to the disciples that Jesus was alive. And this is the end of the Gospel of Mark. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And so the Gospel of Mark ends. It ends with a cliffhanger. It ends kind of abruptly. And when you think about it, how can it be? Because the women left the tomb, they left trembling, they left astonished, they left speechless, and they left in fear. That seems to contradict the beginning notes of this very same chapter where we saw that faith, their faith, overcame all fear. And now, not only says here that they were fearful, but also it seems to imply that they disobeyed the angels. They didn't speak to anyone. They didn't go to the disciples. They didn't go to Peter. They didn't tell them that Jesus was alive. How can it be? No wonder that scribes centuries later tried to give a more appropriate conclusion to this book by adding verses 9 through 20. However, there was no need for that. You know why? Because Matthew... In his gospel, he tells us what happened after. Matthew chapter 28 says that the women left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. 
There was a lot of running that Sunday morning. Mary ran, the Peter and John ran, and the, the Roman soldiers, they ran out of there. And, and the women, they ran again, and they are running to the disciples. Where Mark ends telling us that they didn't speak to anyone, it means that they did not speak any, to anyone on the way. They were not going to stop and be distracted, but they were going to obey what the angel said, and they went straight to the disciples. Ah. And when it says that they were afraid, it means that they were in fear in terms of reverence because of the sight, because of the fact that they had seen angels and that the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen. They were awestruck. Ah, that is the meaning. They were leaving the tomb quickly with fear, but with great joy, running to obey, running to tell the report to the disciples. And you know what happened afterwards? The Bible says, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Like the angels, Jesus did not appear to Peter and John. And like the angels, Jesus gave a message to the disciples through Mary Magdalene and not gave the message directly to them when they were there. The women met Jesus. But did you notice this as well? That Jesus was just at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. And now we see here that even though those women had already left at the command of the angels, Jesus intersected them on their way, on the road, going to the disciples. In one second, Jesus was at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. In another second, he's in the middle of the road talking to the women. In his glorified body, Jesus could move from one place to another immediately. And he met them and said, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Mary Magdalene was the first to see the Lord resurrected. And the other women, they were the second ones to see the Lord resurrected. The empty tomb proved the resurrection. The angels confirmed the resurrection. The women proclaimed after what they saw. And Mary Magdalene, she saw him and then proclaimed. Before we pray, I must say this. Five years, about five years after the Gospel of Matthew was written, not Mark, five years after the Gospel of Matthew was written, the Apostle Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. What we know as his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, he gives us a list of those who saw the Lord resurrected. Paul says, beginning in verse 5, that first Jesus appeared to Cephas, to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve, meaning the disciples. And then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren, most of whom are still alive at the time of his writing. And then he says, then the Lord appeared to James, the Lord's half-brother, the author of the epistle of James. And then the Lord appeared once again to the apostles. And then lastly... He appeared to me, Paul says, the least of all the apostles. Wait a minute, Paul. Where are the women? 
He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and he appeared second to all the women who were his disciples. Why didn't he mention them? Because women were not called biblically to be ordained as ministers of the gospel to proclaim the resurrection. But Jesus honored their faith by appearing first to them. Biblically, women are not ordained to ministry, but they were tasked, especially those women, received a very special task of testifying of the Lord's resurrection to the ordained apostles themselves. As the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we are all one in Christ, male, female, slave, or free. But God, according to his grace, has given each and every one of us a specific role in the body of Christ. But for those particular women, God granted them a very special blessing to be the first ones to see the Lord and to be the first ones to proclaim of his resurrection. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings upon our lives, Lord, for Christ is risen. For we know, Lord, that our faith is not in vain, that our faith is not useless, but is predicated on the reality of the empty tomb, on the reality that Jesus Christ overcame death, on the reality that Jesus Christ is our Savior and alive He is forevermore. And He is interceding for each and every one of us, as your word tells us in Hebrews 7.25. We praise you, Father, for Christ is risen, and Christ came alive within our hearts as well when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But now you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. May your blessing, may your grace be with each and every one of us here. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to those who are not certain of their salvation, but that they would come to Christ once and for all and receive eternal salvation for their souls. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.